Speaking of health, I, I love to exercise, I love to eat healthy food. I, I went for a run today and I ran out of the, the place where I'm staying. And as I ran out, there was a man who was 70 years old running up the hill that I was about to run up. I'm 34. And so immediately, the first thing that came to my mind, and this is not a holy ambition, I thought, I can't let this man beat me, right? <laughs> I mean, he's 70 years old. And then it struck me, I must be in Loma Linda. Because not anywhere is it, not, you know, I like to exercise. This is something I do on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, I'm running along and, and the good news was that when he got to the top of the hill, he stopped and I get to run past him. So it worked out well for my part. But I did end up going, then I, I, then I went up into the hills and as I went up into the hills, I, uh, I, was, I would run up and then I would walk down and I'd run up and I'd, you know, walk for a bit and then I'd run up. And when I came down, I saw the man, I was guessing he was 70 years old and as I'm running down, he's running toward me again. And as he's running toward me, I said, sir, how old are you? And he said, I'm 70 years old. And I thought, I knew it. I knew it. It was right. And so we're in a place where health is uh, something that, you know, it, this area is renowned for. They call it one of the blue zones, as you may know. I had zero interest in, interest in health growing up. I uh, actually, I wasn't raised of this faith. I, had, I, I just ate junk food, actually. Just, you know, literal junk food. That's just what I ate growing up. And I never had a salad in, in, my, in my entire life until I was 19 years old after joining this church. So I was not a healthy person. So, but I do enjoy health now. It's been a blessing for my life. But I'm not talking about health tonight. Um, we're going to talk about victory and, and something that uh, washes away the lies that may lead to us failing. But before we do, before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. We need your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would guide in a very special way that Jesus would be seen. Father, we absolutely need you just now. We give the time to you, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This evening, we're going to cover a, a topic. And before we even begin, I'm going to tell you why I'm sharing this topic. The reality is, is the series that we're at now is called Do You Mind? That we're going to be talking more and more progressively as we go forward, especially during the noon meetings. We have the noon and the seven o'clock meetings. We're going to be talking about the, the mind finding victory over, over negative habits, negative memories, all of these things, finding victory. We're going to talk about that Saturday morning right here at 11 o'clock. We're going to talk about uh, some neuroscience and victory, how to find victory over bad habits and so forth. We're going to be talking more and more about that, but we begun with a spiritual emphasis on some of these issues, and the spiritual emphasis that we're looking at tonight on this subject has to do with the fact that if we have false conceptions in our mind, these things can keep us down and can hinder our uh, addictions, our habits, they can hinder our spiritual life. So we're going to see this, if you have your Bibles, if you brought a Bible with you, and if not, let me ask you, are there are there Bibles and pews with you? I don't even know. I've never looked. There are? Yeah, so you can always grab a... If you didn't bring one, there should be some right there, I guess. At least, at least one person shook their head. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what we discover is that the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, made a very interesting statement. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are going to begin in verse 3. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul here is speaking, the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, and he says, but if our gospel is hid, it is hid from those who are lost. Now, what on earth is he talking about here? Last night, we talked about Jesus, and we talked about him going to the cross. We talked about the sufferings that he went through there were much more than just physical. They were the spiritual sufferings of the weight of the sins of the world. And as he was going through that, he died for our sins, he rose up for us, and he says that, listen, if you receive my death, if you by faith receive that in my, my resurrection... You confess your sins, you turn away, you repent, you can be saved, and this is called the gospel. This is the good news. That word means the good news. And he says, if our gospel, if our good news is hid, it's hid to those who are lost. Well, what does he go on to say in verse 4? He said, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of, of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. So we have this picture. Paul tells us that the enemy, that the enemy of our souls, that he blinds the eyes of man. And we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The Bible talks about the eyes as something that has intelligence. And it doesn't mean literally that your eyes are intelligent per se, but it means that it's like your eyes being open to something new. We use that same terminology in the modern English language. Is that right? Yes, we do. And so he says, listen, but people have their eyes covered, blinded by the enemy because they have false conceptions. And with those false conceptions, they can be led away from God and eternal life. And I have seen people who have struggled because of past experiences and it blinds the life that they've experienced. I was in the state of Florida for a time. I lived there for a while. And while I was there, I was visiting with a woman. I was visiting in her house. Her name was Sue. And as I was sitting there with my friend Nathaniel and Sue there, this, this woman, Sue, began to relate to us some of the experiences that she had personally gone through in life. She shared with us how she had been abused in every way you can imagine possible by her family. She was abused in horrendous ways by her, uh, I believe her father, specifically her brother. She had gone through this horrible ordeal. Life was just a burden to her. And, and as we looked at her, you could see that she had, and she shared the story, she would take uh, lit cigarettes and she would just burn them into her arm. She would burn them, and you could see all the scars there on her arms there. And I think she, she actually, at one point, she told us, we could see, uh, she had slit her wrists. And when her mom came in the room, her response to finding her daughter with her wrists slit open were, look what you've done. Now I have to clean all this up. We live in a world that is broken, yes or no? We live in a broken world. We have a Savior that is saying, listen, I want to open their eyes. But so many, people, so many people have had their eyes blinded that they cannot see the light of truth. I was here in California. I've had the opportunity to live in California at different times. And while we were in California, I was visiting with a young man. I won't say his name. He was in a gang here in California called the Bulldogs. They're known for being just a rough and tough gang here in California. And this young man had grown up in a house. His mother, uh, the, the father was out of the picture, and so she remarried another man. And this man also sexually abused both this young man that I was visiting and his brother. And so as these young boys had gone through this terrible ordeal as they grew up, and uh, what ended up happening was as they began to get older, they began to get angry. 
You know, because I don't know if you know, but kids grow up, right? And they get big and they get strong and sometimes they can do something about it. And a fight broke out between the brother of this young man that I was visiting and the, this, this stepfather. The stepfather ended up taking a knife and he stabbed to death the young man, the brother. And the young man who was sharing with me the story, he said, and I was stabbed in the stomach and he pulls up his shirt and you can see the telltale signs of the scar on his stomach. I've visited with people and I recognize we live on a broken planet. We live in a world that is filled with sorrow and death and sin. And one of the issues is, one of the ways that the enemy has blinded the minds of men, and even Darwin, uh, his eyes were blinded in the same area. Darwin looked at the world and he looked at the suffering, he looked at the pain, he looked at even in the animal kingdom. And he looked at these things and what he said is, you know what? He said, basically, even in nature, there is pain and suffering. How could there be a what? A God. And if there is a God, how could he be a a good God? And you know what? These are legitimate questions, yes or no? And if there is a God, should he not be able to answer these questions? This is something that men have wondered about, women have wondered about, and not just atheists and agnostics, even Christians. When when the pain and the suffering enters into a human life, the question has been at times, why is this happening? Why is it so rough? And we're going to look at that question this evening, but before we do, I'm going to share with you a story that maybe you've heard before. It was long, long ago, and in a, a kingdom far away actually, Maybe not so far. It was a kingdom of great renown. For the king of this country was known as the most powerful king in any portion of the universe. This king was so powerful, but no one knew how vast his empire truly was. This king had a name. He was called Joshua. And this king of his great empire, he, he was, what was so amazing about him is that his kingdom was won not by wars like all other kingdoms in earth's history, but it was actually a kingdom that was won by love. It was different. And this king, with all of his subject, he, subjects, he loved his subjects, but there was actually one battle that took place. That one of his subjects, by the name of Kalab, had become very angry. And actually, he actually did everything he could to actually try to take the place of the king. And so the king did not hurt him. He did not destroy him. But in love, he cast him out of the kingdom. What ended up happening is this this man, Kalab, began to spread a rumor. He began to spread a rumor that began to uh, go around and and people by firelight, almost nobody believed the the story, but by firelight some men and some women would, would, when thinking no one else was around, would share with some of their closest friends this dark rumor about the great King Joshua. They would say, listen, Joshua is, is, you know, yes, he seems loving, he puts on an air of love and compassion, but really deep behind it is a very evil character. And people heard this and many would say, no, I can't believe it's true. And the reason many of them couldn't believe it, because they believed that this this rumor had started from Kalab himself. And so many people were doubting. 
But one particular day, the king was making his way, and he was making his way through one of the villages in his realm. And as he was going through that city, the people were cheering and they were rejoicing to see great King Joshua. And as they were looking at him, uh, they were rejoicing, raising their hands. And as he was going by, he was looking at the crowd, and he was smiling, and he was waving. And as he, he was looking, there was a woman in the crowd. And as he, his eyes met hers, her eyes met him, and she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. And as he beheld this woman, his heart began to be warmed, and he looked at her, and though everyone else was cheering, she herself was not cheering. She was looking on. She, her face was straight with her beautiful eyes, and he wondered, why is she not rejoicing with everybody else? But something in his heart yearned after this woman, and he wanted to know, who is she? Who is this woman? And as the king made his way back to his kingdom, he ended up asking some of his workers. He sent men out to her village to secretly begin to discover who is this woman. And as they looked into the story of who this woman is, they got just a little bit of information. They couldn't learn all that much about her. They discovered that her name was Carissa, that she lived in this village, and they began to learn just a few particulars. And the more the king discovered about this woman, he began to learn about her character and what she was like. And his heart began to yearn after her. He actually began to love this woman. And months and actually even a few years went by as he was discovering more and more in his, he actually, his love was continuing to grow. But the thing about it is, you think, well, he's the king. He's the sovereign. And being that he's sovereign, he's rich and he's powerful. But the reality is, in the realm of love, things like, uh, things like uh, power and money can actually hamper true love. You say, well, why is that? Because how do you know if the individual loves you because of actual love or whether they, they love you for your money or your power? You understand? And so the king is thinking, what do I do? How do I find out if this woman actually loves me? And then after three years, he comes to a conclusion. I've got an idea. If I go to her as a king, she will for sure marry me. She'll marry me because either fear of my power or love for my money or just wanting a higher position. But anyway, she will come and she will marry me. But how do I know it's true love? And so the king devised a plan. He said, I've got it. He said, I will not go to her with my royal entourage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to change my appearance. I'm going to go down to beautiful Carissa. And as I make my way, she will not discover from my outward appearance who I am. And so what he began to do is, he began to grow his long locks of hair. They were short, but he grew them into long locks of hair. He grew out his beard. He took off his royal robes, and he began to put on himself the humble garb of a peasant, of a worker. He decided he would dress like a common carpenter, or someone who maybe worked with stone. And so here he went. He rode off not on one of his beautiful stallions, but on an old horse. And he rode into this town of young Carissa. And as he made it into the town, he set up shop and he began to work. And just like a common man, began to get to know the townspeople. And one day by chance, he ran into Carissa in the marketplace. And once again, his eyes meet hers and her eyes meet him. And as he looks upon young Carissa, his heart is stunned by her beauty. He thinks she's more beautiful than I even remember. And she begins to look to him and, and he begins to talk to her and she looks in his eyes and she thinks, there's something familiar about this man. They begin to discuss and they, they talk for a time and he asks her name. She says, my name is Carissa. He said, I am Joshua. Joshua. 
And she began talking and they discussed and time went forward and they separated and, and, and by chance later on they met. And from time to time they would meet and they got to know each other. But he began to discuss with her and they began to talk more and more. And it was clear that there was some kind of interest between the two of them. They both could see it. They both could sense it. And as time progressed, uh, they got to know each other more and more. And as they were discussing one day, the king in the garb of this peasant man said, do you think someday maybe we'll get to know each other more than at this level? And she just smiled in return, signaling that she had an interest also. They began to get to know each other more. They spent time together. They would eat together. The relationship grew and grew, and it was clear she was becoming very interested. And she saw such love and compassion in, in this man's eyes, and, and he was such a special man. He was courteous. He was loving. He was even skilled in art. He was someone who was skilled in music. He loved good music and different kinds of things, and she spent time with him, and their love began to deepen. And one day as they were walking along in the countryside there outside of the village, she began to relate to him. They began to discuss different things. And their hearts were opening to each other. And she, she relayed to Joshua that she actually believed the rumor about the king. That she believed in the rumor about the king that behind his facade, behind, behind his, you know, this, this act that he had of compassion and love and kindness, that back behind it all was actually a heart of anger and hatred. And that he would torture his enemies if he could for eternity. And he said, you believe the rumor? And she said, of course I do. And he said, I don't believe it. Why do you believe it? And she said, well, I can't tell you. I, 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 just, I just can't tell even you. I can't tell you at least now. And he said, do you not feel open to talk to me? And she said, I can't, I can't tell you. She said, well, actually, what it is is that, uh, you know, I know that it's a fact because my dad, uh, my, my friends told me that it's true. And I know that it's true because he rode through my town and I saw it in his eyes. I could see right through his eyes the evil in him. You see, if we were there, we could have told her that the strange thing is that we see sometimes what we want to see. But he began to talk to her and he said, what was that you said? Did you say your dad told you? And she said, no, 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 that's not what I said. She said, I said my friends. And he said, let me ask you a question, Carissa. Will you please tell me, who is your dad? And she, with fear and trembling in her heart, struggling, he's not going to love me. The thought is that he is going to reject me. He won't love me. And she said, you won't love me if I tell you. I cannot tell you who my father is. He said, listen, I love you. Will you tell me who your father is? And she said, my father is Kalab. And she said, see, I know that you will never be with me. I know you hate me now. You can't love me knowing who my father is. And he took her in his arms and he told her, I still love you, regardless of who your father is. And she just rejoiced in his love at that moment, and their love continued to grow. And the struggle was going on inside the king's heart. How will I reveal myself? How will I reveal myself? If I just tell her, she may laugh and think, ha ha, what a, what a nice trick you're playing on me. You're the king. And so he's trying to discover, how can I reveal to her who I truly am? And their love continues to grow. And finally, as they are together one day, finally, the, you know, summer passed. 
winter passed and, and they come into the spring and then another summer and finally they come to fall and as the leaves begin to fall, they begin to change colors. He decided that a change needed to take place in their lives together. And he said to Carissa one day, he said, Carissa, I love you with all of my heart. And he said, I just want to know, Carissa, will you marry me? And Carissa said, yes, yes, a thousand times, yes, I would love to marry you. I want nothing more than to marry you. He said, wonderful. He said, will you come to the, to the area where I am from that we can be with my friends and my relatives at the wedding? Would you be willing to do this? And she said, absolutely. And so the time came and the people within their village at that time were rejoicing with them and, and wishing them well on their way to his kingdom. But she didn't know where they were going. And as they make their way, as they make their way to his home, they're getting closer and closer. And as they get near the gates of the city, they make their way and the people begin to just bow down before them. And she thinks, what kind of greeting is this? She said, what, what is going on here? He said, I have many things to say unto you right now, but you cannot bear them presently. You'll find out soon enough. They make their way closer to the city, and as they get closer and closer and closer, the people are rejoicing and saluting them, and she's saying, what is going on here? What is taking place? I don't understand. And finally, as they, they get right up to the castle walls, and there are soldiers standing, the sentinels are standing there, standing guard, and those soldiers push open the doors and say, sir, you may enter your house. And she said, What? And he turns, and as the door is open, he said, would you be willing to enter as my queen? And she looked at him with astonishment in their eyes. She looked at him with confusion, and then that confusion turned to utter surprise. And she said, you are King Joshua. Is this true? And he said, I am. And tears began to stream down her face. And he said, I will not force you to be my queen, to be my wife. It would break my heart if you would leave me, but I, I never force anyone to follow me. And she says, how could I leave you? I now know that the lie is just what it is. The rumor is a lie. And I know that you are love. Now clearly you can see this picture really is a picture more about us than it is about a woman named Carissa. That we live on a planet where people are confused. There has been a lie, there has been deception that has been propagated since before we were even created. A lie began to be spread in heaven and we read about that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, the last book of the Bible, we read one of the strangest depictions in Scripture. Revelation chapter 12, it begins in verse 7. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. And when you're there, would you please say, Amen. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, and it says, It says, and there was war in what? Heaven. There was war where? In heaven, now this is a strange picture, right? Normally we think of peace, happiness, joy, and bliss. But here it says there was war in heaven. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought his angels and did not prevail. Neither, had they any, neither, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And then it says these strange words in verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, that 
uh, I'm sorry, and the great dragon was cast out, called the devil and Satan. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So notice it says there was this war in heaven. The Bible reveals, if you study closely, that there was this war, this war of polemics, this war of, of words, basically a battle of, you could almost say like a political battle, a war of words. Lucifer, the Bible reveals to us, was trying to take the place of God. And so there was this war in heaven, and Lucifer and his angels are cast out, the Bible reveals to us. And Revelation chapter 12 says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. You see, people struggle, because what if there is a God who tells us, I can give you victory. I can give you victory over temptation. I can give you victory over sin. I can give you victory over habits. But in the back of your mind, there is this thought that actually he is a wicked God who does not actually love me. Do you see how much harder it would be to overcome, yes or no? If this God who claims to be a God of love is just, really that's just a veneer for his wickedness, what happens is that causes people actually to stumble and fall. This is something God, in reality, the war that takes place throughout the centuries is the war for the mind. It is a war for the mind, all of us. God is trying to give us victory over the issues that hold us back. People have had abuse in their past. They've had pain and suffering in their past. They've had parents with serious problems in the home. There has been pain where we can't forgive others, and all of these things have hampered our experience, and God says, I want to give you victory, but in the back of it, we wonder, well, maybe God is actually himself not loving and kind. And God is trying to say, I want to show you who I really, truly am. I want to reveal myself to you. And the Bible tells us that there was an enemy. And notice what it says about this enemy. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 28 for a moment. We're going to look at a few passages here in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel chapter 28. Chapter 28, and we're going to be looking. Now this is a prophecy about the king of Tyrus, but it is parallels. It is secondarily toward, the, toward this being called Lucifer himself. And the way we know that is because it says in verse 14, verse, verse 13 rather. It says, you have been in where? Eden, the garden of God. Stop there just for a moment. It says this king of Tyre had been in the garden of Eden. Let me ask you, when you look back in the Old Testament, who was in the garden of Eden? Who, who existed in the garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, and there was somebody else there with them. The serpent, which is Lucifer, and God actually would come and visit them also. But the person in the prophecy who's speaking is God, and where are Adam and Eve in the days of Ezekiel? They're dead, so who does this leave us with? Satan, right? I mean, this just makes, you know, you deduce this from the passage itself. So here is this one who had been in the Garden of Eden. Jump down to verse 14. You are the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mount of God. You have walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. And then it says in verse 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till what? Iniquity was found in you. Now, what a strange thought that God created. It says here, God created everything absolutely what? Perfect. God did not create. People say, well, if God is good and all-knowing, why would he create a devil? The Bible says that God did not create a devil. He created a perfect being. 
He created this being that we know of as Lucifer, Lux Feros from the Latin, meaning the light bearer. So here we have this one who is perfect, but then it says iniquity. He was perfect in all his ways. He was beautiful until iniquity was found in him. And now we know in verse 17, now we get an insight into his heart. What happened? Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. So notice what happens. He begins to think how beautiful he is. Look at me. Look at the glory I have. And as he thinks of himself, he begins to think less and less of his creator, the one who made him. And he actually gets to the point where we get more insight. Hang a left and go to the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Quickly turn with me there. Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 12. Now, Isaiah has a question. He, he wonders, how art thou fallen? Isaiah himself wonders, how could a perfect being in a perfect universe made by a perfect God sin? And he asks that question. He says in verse 12, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Verse 13. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, I will be like who? The Most High. Notice Lucifer says, I'm going to take the place of God in heaven. Do you understand why there was a war in heaven, yes or no? Why was there a war? Because how many kings can you have in a, in a typical kingdom? A monarchy, right? You can only have one. And here he tries to take the place of God. And the Bible says that there was war. Not a war of swords and these kind of things or bombs or cannons. But rather that this was a political war and Satan is cast out. He's cast out to the earth and you know the story. That there he is in the garden tempting our first parents to turn away from him. Now we live, what happened? As they partook of the fruit, they turned away from God. They gave their same desires, their same passions to their children, and so forth all the way down to us today. We live in a world, God did not intend for these things, but God gave humanity freedom of what? Choice. God made, gave humanity freedom of choice. Can you have love without freedom, yes or no? Let's think about this for a moment. Just imagine with me for a moment that a young man, we're at a university here, we're at Loma Linda University. Now imagine with me for a moment that there's, uh, a, you know, there's a biology classroom full of students here. And in this classroom, there are two students sitting next to each other just by you know, happenstance this particular day. And the teacher pairs them up together for uh, you know, homework they have to do together. And so the teacher says uh, to these two people, the two of you are going to work, the two of you behind you. And then she pairs off all the students. And so these, this boy and girl get paired up. And the boy is excited because he thinks, oh, she is so beautiful. I'm so glad. Uh, I, I want to be with this girl. This is wonderful. I get to now be with her at least for some time. And this will, you know, hopefully we can get married. That's a little bit quick, maybe, but this was his thoughts. These were his thoughts, right? And so uh, they find, he says, listen, all right, when do you want to get together? She said, how about tomorrow, maybe about three in the afternoon? We can do the work together. Maybe get it done in about an hour. He says, okay, that would be wonderful. Why don't we meet out on the grass there? I don't know the names of all these places here, but out on the grass there. And, and so she says, okay, that will work fine. And so he finally comes out on the grass three o'clock the next day. And there he is, and he has like a picnic blanket laid out. But not just a picnic bank blanket, there are two picnic baskets with food all out there in front of her. 
And she comes and she's thinking they're going to do their homework quickly, right? And he says, hi, oh, I'm glad you made it. He said, I thought we could eat some food before we, you know, study. And she, she says, oh, okay, I'm not very hungry, but I guess I'll have a little bit. You know, she's trying to be nicer. She has zero, zero, zero interest in this guy. And so they begin to eat a little, and after a few minutes, she says, do you mind if we uh, get working? You know, I, I got to get going. I have other schoolwork. I got, I got another class coming up also. And he says, oh, sure, no problem. So he begins to put all the food away. He puts them away all in the picnic basket. As he does so, uh, then he goes to the second picnic basket, and he pulls something out of them. But she doesn't see it, and he sticks it behind her back. His back. And he comes up to her, and he gets down on one knee. And he says, Stacy... I think you're really beautiful. And he pulls out a box of half-eaten chocolate. And then he pulls out from his other hand, he pulls out a pistol. And he's smiling at her. And he says, Stacy, I just want to know, will you marry me? Now let me ask you a question. What do you think Stacy's going to say? What do you think? I think she's going to say, oh, yes, absolutely, right? Let me go run and tell my family, right? But what, now obviously she just wants to get away, right? Let me ask you a question. Can you force someone at gunpoint to love you, yes, yes or no? A friend of mine said it like this. He said, if somebody came into the room and said to me they, with a gun, they come in and they say, stand on your head. He said, I, I, I'm not real good at it, but I give it a shot, right? He said, but if they said to me, love me, what would you do? What would you do if somebody at gunpoint, took, could you do it, yes or no? No, because love necessitates what? Choice. But with a gun, there's really no choice, right? You can lie, you could fake it. But what if God would have forced people in the beginning? I mean, if I, if I had my computer up here like all the rest of the nights, I could program my computer. Uh, that's probably not the right way of saying it, but I could make my computer, if I push the right button, say, Chad, I love you. But do you think it would make me feel good when I push the button, yes or no? Like, oh, that's nice, wonderful, right? No, because I made it do it. God gave freedom of choice to his creation. Now, God gave this freedom of choice, but you may be wondering, okay, so he gave the freedom of choice, then Lucifer turned away. Why didn't God just what? Kill him. I could have thought of that, right? Just kill him. We all would have been better off in this situation. But let's think about it for a moment. Let's say God would have done that. Let's say Lucifer starts going away and God says, you know what? I have had enough of you. Just, you know, explodes Lucifer and, and he's done with it. That fixes the problem, doesn't it? How would the other angels in heaven feel? Imagine they're walking around and, and one of them's walking, Gabriel, Gabriel's walking around and he, he looks to one of the other angels and he says, hey, have you seen Lucifer? And they say, shh. What do you mean? What, what, what are you talking about? And, and the response comes back, listen, haven't you heard what happened? Lucifer was speaking against God and God just evaporated him. He destroyed him. Now listen, after that point, what would have happened to everybody else in that kingdom? They would have followed God out of fear and not out of love. But God wants humanity to follow him out of love. This is what God has given. God is a creator, and in his creation, the only option to have a universe that had the capacity for true love is to make a universe that had freedom of choice. You understand? 
But here's the thing. So then throughout the Old Testament, God is trying to reveal himself to Israel, and they, they have false conceptions. They're not understanding. They're not following. They constantly go back to idols. We see them turning to all kinds of, of, of wickedness in their lives. I mean, to the point where the Israelites were burning babies on the hands of Molech. This was the, this god, this statue, and they would, they would put fire under this god's hands, and they would put their babies, they would burn them. Even King Solomon built a temple to Molech. You see the confusion that Israel was under. The, they, they had been so deceived and God called prophets to point the people back to God, turn back to God, follow His ways of love, follow His ways of compassion, and the people turned away. And finally God came down in the form of a man. His name was Jesus. In the Hebrew it was Yeshua. Or as we would say in English, Joshua. He came down in the humble garb of a what carpenter he came to planet earth because when we looked at the big picture of him it was too hard maybe maybe the enemy is right maybe he doesn't have our best good in mind and men have struggled with this for centuries yea millennia Men have struggled with this issue and God has been trying to, to follow His people, seeking them out, trying to, as it were, chase after them, but not to force them to follow. But as men and women were running away from God, God in love is chasing them, saying, listen, I want to show you who I really am. And then finally, He came with His perfect picture, Jesus, the Messiah, who came and finally lived a perfect life for humanity. And what I find amazing about it is, this King as He came to earth, People saw him, and today even, even so, atheists may say things like, well, yes, Jesus was a good man. Buddhists see this. Muslims see it. Christians see it. We can't help but see the purity of Jesus, the beauty of his life. When we look at how did Jesus treat people who were living in sin? How did he treat a woman who felt absolutely filthy, just had committed the act of adultery, and as she's rushed in the presence of Jesus, how would Jesus treat a woman who had been in an adulterous relationship? Would he say, you filthy, dirty whore? Is that what he did? Jesus said, I do not, what? Condemn you, but he didn't stop there. He said, what? Go and sin no more. Jesus, in love and compassion, said to this woman, your life can be changed. I have a better plan for your life. And it's not these adulterous relationships. I have a better plan for your life. How did Jesus respond to alcoholics? We know Jesus would actually go and eat with them. So much so that people wondered if, if he was a wine bibber, though he was not. Yet he would go into the, to these people, he would eat with them and sup with them so that he could draw them closer to his heavenly father. Jesus was showing a picture of God that we had never seen because he was God in the flesh. He came as a simple man and as people began to see him, he finally came to the point where he hung upon the cross for humanity. And as he died on the cross for us, he gave everything. As we talked about it last night, the Bible actually reveals that he died of a broken heart in Psalm 69, verse 20 and 21. It tells us that. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness and I look for some to take pity and there was none and for comforters and, and, and I found none. They gave me gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. The prophecy says Jesus died for our sins. He gave all for us because of an everlasting love as it says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 tells us, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn you. 
He was trying to seek us out, but yet we have run and run. I know at times in my life I've run from God. Not even knowing it. The things I was doing, though I didn't even recognize I was running from Him, doing the, whether it was drugs or, or just illicit relationships, just running and not even recognizing what I was happening. And God lovingly is following right on my tail. Never to force, never to force, because God is a God, God is a gentleman who would never force anyone to follow Him. Forced love, we have a word for that. We call forced love rape. And God is not that way. God is a God of love, and He wants to clear away the, the darkness, as it said there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that He wants to wash away the blindness so that our eyes can see. Because the only way for us to truly overcome as Christians in this world is to actually get to the point where we see the love of God as it is. That we see Him as He is, and as our eyes are cleared, we can actually realize He loves me. I'll tell you, when I, when I first came, uh, just a time after I'd given my life to God, I was going to a set of meetings, and I was still chewing tobacco and uh, doing different things. I'd go back and forth between smoking and uh, chewing. And, and long story short, for the first time I discovered, yeah, I wanted to quit because it hurt my gums. And then I would quit, and it would, you know, I'd smoke, and it would hurt my lungs. And I'd go back and forth, and I would try to quit, but I couldn't. And then, you know what? For the first time, somebody showed me that the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, do you not know that your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have a God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. And someone shared with me that it wasn't just me that wanted to quit, it was actually who? It was God. And if God tells you everything He commands us to do, guess what? He, is, he will enable us to do it. And it wasn't until I discovered that God wanted me to quit that I actually was able to find victory. God wants to wash away the darkness that we have. Because I, I've even been told in my life, God does not care about your body. He only cares about your soul. Whatever that means, right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. God loves all of you. He cares for you. And He wants to save us. And He's been seeking us out. But many of us have been running and running and running. And God in love is saying, come home. Give your life back to me. Maybe you've heard the old story. Well, actually, no, I won't go to this, that story yet. I want to think about this with me just for a moment. The reality is this. Why is there pain and suffering today? It's not because God wills it and wants it. Actually, God despises the pain and the suffering. He wants to set us free from it, but this is the reality. The reality is there are, there are three major reasons for the pain and suffering. Number one, as sin entered into the world, sin caused the world to begin to deteriorate. So you have the thorns and the thistles. You have the you know, natural death that we call natural, but it wasn't natural in the beginning. So sin is the first reason for pain and suffering. The second one is Satan himself. We see in, I believe in the book of Luke, we see a, sermon, a certain woman who had been bound. Jesus said this woman has been bound by Satan 18 years. So sometimes Satan has a direct impact in hurting people's lives. But the third reason that humans suffer is by selfishness, by selfishness. Now, that can be either your own selfishness, that maybe you hurt yourself. Uh, sometimes we're mean, and that, that hurts us and others. But the other reason for selfishness is that somebody who is selfish may actually hurt you. They may abuse you. But the reality is there are reasons for pain and suffering, and Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus came and he says, listen, I want to set you free from your addictions. I want to set you free from your anger. I want, to be, I want to help you be able to forgive. And I know people who cannot forgive. I've been one of those people. Where I was struggling with forgiveness. Things have happened in my past. And, and I struggled to let it go. 
I, every time I would think about it, every time I'd go over it, it would go over and over and over and anger would come into my heart and, and it was just a heavy burden to bear. But after giving my heart wholly to Jesus, I found the freedom. He actually helped me let that go. And it's interesting that God wants to set us free from the bondage of our past and He's, as it were, chasing us and many times we're running away. I read a story when I was younger. Actually, actually I was in grade school at this point. And this story... I don't know that it's true, but regardless, it's a good illustration. This story was of a, a woman who was getting gas at the gas station. She was getting gas, and as she was getting her gas, she sees a truck driver staring at her. And she looked at him and she thought, you creep. Why are you looking at me, right? And he was just staring at her. And so she, she was uncomfortable with this whole situation, and then he even started walking toward her. And she became terrified, she jumped in her car, and she sped off. And he jumped in his truck, his semi, and took off after her. And she was thinking, you may have heard the story, she was thinking, oh no, finally he came right up behind her. He came right up behind her, and, and as, as she sees him, she thinks, well, okay, maybe he's going to pass, and, and so, but he's right behind her, and she's in the right lane, and so she thinks, well, maybe he, I, I, he could go around, why isn't he going around me? So she pulls to the left lane, and he pulls to the left lane also, and she now, now her heart begins just pounding, it just increases. So she's struggling with this whole situation, and as, as she, she begins to just speed up, and she hits 80 miles an hour there on the freeway, and he, over time, makes his way up to 80 miles an hour, and he's right behind her again, and she knows for sure now she is being chased. And so she goes back in the other lane, and she's doing anything she can, and she is absolutely horrified, and she's just a couple exits toward her house, and she's getting closer to her house, and finally she gets to the exit of her house, and she, she takes off to the right toward the exit, goes up the exit ramp, and she looks both ways, doesn't come to a stop, and then just hangs a left. And he comes right along just as fast as he can. Not as fast as she is, but as fast as he can. And finally, she keeps going down the road and she takes her right into her subdivision and she sees in the distance he's coming to and he turns as she's getting closer to her house. She takes a final left turn into her street and she pulls over into her driveway. And she can hear the semi coming with its brakes on, the Jake brakes turning on and she hears that. And she sees, in the, she turns back and looks and he stops his semi and he begins to run toward her and she runs to her door as fast as she can. And as she runs, she takes her keys but she's shaking so much she can, she can hardly get the key into the door. And then by the time she realized he should have been here already, she turns back and she looks and she sees he doesn't run to her, but he runs to the back seat and he reaches in, he grabs out a man with a knife. He pins the man to the ground. And she realizes the one who she thought was trying to destroy her was the one who was actually trying to save her. Many of us have had this experience. Many of us have, even maybe now in, in our confusion, we're struggling with, does God really love me? Can I actually give my whole life to him? And Jesus is saying, I love you with an everlasting love. Will you give your entire heart to me? He wants to wash away. He wants to cleanse our eyes so that we can see it right. So we can find victory in the areas of forgiveness. So we can find victory over bad habits. Maybe not drugs and alcohol. Maybe those. Maybe pornography. Or maybe some habit that nobody else would even know. But God is saying, I want to give you victory over your secret sin. I want to give you victory He's chasing you not to force you, but because He wants you to stop so that He can save you. Save you even from yourself. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just now. 
Maybe there's someone here this evening who feels as if, maybe there's someone here who feels as if I recognize in this myself. I see myself. I recognize that I have been running from my Savior Jesus. Maybe I didn't even know it. Maybe you didn't even think about it that way. But as you hear these things, you think, that is me. I have been running. I've been holding on to a sin. And as God's trying to save me, I've just been holding on to it. And I don't recognize that he's trying to save me, but tonight I see it. And maybe there's someone here tonight. Maybe there's someone who has a burden and says, Jesus, I want to bring it to you. I want to find victory. You want your mind to set, be set free and you recognize tonight is the night. And you want, while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, you just want to reach your hand up to heaven and Jesus is reaching down saying, I want to lift you up. You don't have to stand, but just sitting there in your seat, you want to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I have been running and I want to come back to you right now. Is there someone who would like to raise your hand? God bless you there, sir. God bless you there in the back. Ma'am, right, you also in the back. Is there someone else who feels a burden who says, I want to come back to Jesus this, this evening? God bless you there, sister. Sister in the back, God bless you. Is there someone else in the very back? I see your hand there. God sees your hand. He recognizes, you recognize the Spirit is touching your heart. Maybe there's someone else. It's, if you feel like you can't even do it. Because maybe, just maybe, God isn't loving. But then you remember the woman at the well. Maybe, maybe you actually have been caught in a similar sin. And this woman going from man to man to man. And Jesus is saying, I want to set you free from this lifestyle. Is there someone else who wants to raise their hand and say, I have been struggling and I need Jesus. I need Jesus to give me victory this evening. Would you raise your hand just now? God bless you there. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father. Though many of these things may be old messages we say, all these things I know, and Father, the reality is we need victory. We need to know the old, old story that Jesus has given all. Father, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would rain down upon us. We can't do anything. We have no strength. I had no strength to overcome the addictions in my life. You alone have the strength. And even now, I need growth. Father, all of us need a deeper experience with you. We want to know you, Father, and I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that we would see you as you are. Not as man sees, but as your word reveals the divine love. That God is not just loving, but your word reveals God is love. Father, I pray that you would draw us nearer to you. That we would find victory in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we give ourselves to you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.